When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Foundation by Story Archives. I am your host, Mario Busto, alongside Zachary Newton. You're the host. Welcome back. Zach, we're back. Season two, episode one, the premiere of Foundation, mm. Apple's crown jewel of their, I was going to yeah. say, of Emperor Torellian's fleet, but uh, that's a deep cut. <laughs> deep cut. That's, uh, that's an old one. We're back, though, with uh, the premiere of Season 2 titled In Selden's Shadow. And tonight's our deep dive coverage. So if you've never joined us before, we talk at length about each of the scenes here. Uh, a little different from our instant reaction, which is literally our watch the episode, hop on a call, record, give our instant reaction. This one goes a little deeper into the nuances and pretty much just expounds on some of the things that we talked about in the instant reaction in a mm-hmm. way that lends itself to more commentary. And sometimes we even dive into the mailbag, which I've got one good one today to bring Ooh. out. So, Zach, first impressions yeah. on episode one? It's a great episode. It really is. It, r- it really sets a stage for uh, you know the second season. I'm hoping everything else is at least as good as this episode was. But, um, you know, I was already way more impressed by this first episode than I was by the first season. And I like the first season. So I'm excited to see what's in store for us. Like ramping it up to the next level. I mean, it looks visually beautiful. Um, The special effects as always is just top notch. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't have the numbers on what Apple's spending on this show episode to episode, but some of the sequences are just beautiful. The way I feel like they're diving deeper into the worlds that are, that are, in the foundation, right? Or in the mm-hmm. world of foundation. For example, Trantor. I feel like we're seeing a way more expansive looking Trantor than we had in season one. The yeah. foundation in Terminus is expanded beyond belief. We also have this neat look at these new outer rings that are meant to be a symbol of strength and intimidation for the Empire that we see on Trantor. Mm-hmm. And just a doubling down in pretty much every area of detail that you can imagine. For example... We actually had a listener talking about, man, I really hope that they kind of dive more into the wardrobe side of things. Uh, And it feels like the actual soldiers have a specific look now. Uh, Everyone has like, you have like the medical team, they have their white garbs that they have on, the flags of the empire are there. Everyone has a specific look. Even Queen Sarath's little delegation coming in to visit is, everything is intentional of what they're doing. And so we're, we're getting like little tidbits here and there of the details and I love it. Just love it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very visually stunning. It looks like they took the uh, production budget and cranked it up a bit. Like you can tell the the difference in production quality, I think between season one and season two. It just, it feels crisper. It's way more vibrant in my opinion. It, it just looks great. With that being said though, I'm, I'm seeing foundations like top three right now in the Apple charts, right? I like to keep a finger on the on the pulse of what's going on in pop culture and seeing like, okay, is this show getting traction? When I say that, I mean that in regards to television shows and films, like 
what is capturing the conversation. And so like I was searching Twitter today, I was just typing in foundation. Yeah. Almost nothing popping up in terms of searching on there. Now, Silo, on the other hand, was by a few weeks into the season was already kind of getting a little bit of traction. But I'm I'm interested to see what Apple's strategy is going to be here with Foundation, whether yeah. they crank it up on the marketing budget a little bit of getting the word out there about the show. Because the thing about Foundation is you definitely need to watch season one to understand what the hell is going on in season two. Yeah, and that's for sure. uh, at least for a newcomer. I mean, I know that's what I would do as a, as a nerd who just like lives for the sci-fi genre and the fantasy and the world building <laughs> side of things. But um, I, I think that they have a ways to go because I think in many ways, season two is going to be the deciding factor of how many seasons this show gets. Uh, I, yeah. I read something somewhere where I think the show creator or the showrunner was talking about taking this potentially eight seasons. But wow. however, I say that with the caveat, it would have to be that there is an appetite for the show to that degree. Because there's other alternatives where they wrap up this show neatly in a couple seasons more. But, you know, I would definitely like to see the latter. I definitely think that this is like a seven, eight season show. Uh, while other mm -hmm. shows that I've mentioned before that I've raved about in previous episodes, like The Bear, I could see that going maybe two more seasons. Or maybe I could see it end, like wrapping up neatly in three seasons. You know, just every story yeah. feels a little different. So, but the way they're building the foundation... Yeah, it definitely feels like an expansive one for me. Yeah, I mean, I think you could go really far and really deep, but you're right. I mean, we've got to catch, I mean, people have got to catch on to the show. Uh, Silo did pick up very quickly. I'm hoping that we see something different here. I mean, this is, this is technically we're recording this on the night that Apple says it releases, right? This is true. So, this is true. there's also, you know, a lot of people that may not even have thought to try and watch it yet or haven't had the time to watch it until right now. That's a solid point. That's a solid point because if you're listening out there, the actual episode does release on Thursday night. If you're looking to if you're looking for something on Thursday night to watch, I mean, this usually does release on a Thursday night, but um yeah, I guess we can get into it. I mean, I could talk a little bit more on that topic, but let's get into an episode recap here. Very much a setup episode of developing what's going on. A lot more political intrigue, a lot more strategic machinations going on and um <laughs> Yeah, directed by a guy who's a Game of Thrones veteran. So, if you're going to ramp that up, like we talked about in the instant reaction, the way to do it would be to get a guy who's done it. So, yeah, let's get going here. We start off. You know, I was I was wondering how they were going to start this episode off. By the way, with the way that the last season ended, I wasn't let down with this. I liked I liked this very artistic entry here. Yeah, I was when I was rewatching it today. I was thinking about the sequence. I can the order that they're showing everything because we start off with Harry in like his mental quantum consciousness labyrinth, right? Uh, which mm -hmm. is inside of the prime radiant that we later find out, right? Um, yeah. But then I was thinking to myself, you know, you had to start this episode with Harry. You couldn't start this episode with freaking Emperor Cleon banging Demerzel like that's and then go you cut to Harry like that doesn't feel right. So, you, you have to start with this thing that's almost outside of the world and then come back and introduce you into the, where the piece is left off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we didn't get that much of Harry Seldon in season one. I mean, we got bits and pieces of him. He came back in the end as this like sentient being, but, you know, we finally get a little bit more of him. And this is 
this is so different from where we left off. Like he was, he was poised at the end of season one. I mean, he looked like he had his shit together, suit and tie type of mm-hmm. type of guy. And here we are. He's sweating. He's in a you know just like a like a t shirt or looks like he's having a mental breakdown. Yeah, if you can pause for a second. In that sort of mental breakdown, I think it's pretty understandable. He is somebody who is pretty much becoming mortal at this point. Uh, he is he is on the verge of being this sort of immortal being. I mean, he's literally referenced as a prophet and a galactic spirit at one point in this episode. So he has transcended just pure mortal status in this universe, you know? Um, yeah. But in here, he is trapped in a state of the in-between where he is trying to understand how to operate. I mean, just I can't imagine. <laughs> imagine you're waking up and you are like this sort of everything everything everywhere all at once type of character where you need to if if anyone out there's watched that movie it's like a training to understand how to like go through the multiverses that exist out there but for harry it seems he split his consciousness at least in two places that we know in this episode they mm-hmm. reference to you have harry's consciousness in the vault on terminus and then you have the one that gale has trapped inside of the prime radiant now where we find harry is in a sense that he is overwhelmed by the situation he's in so much so that he's being guided by his own creation really which is the prime radiant herself it's embodied by this woman who can take on many forms she even takes on the form of yana a character that we hadn't been introduced to which he calls his life mate i think uh maybe that you think that's a term that catches on in real life you know soulmate life mate i I, I hope not I wasn't quite sure what uh, what she was to him, but yeah. some lover of some sorts, I, I would assume. Yeah, I want to actually take it back a little bit because we glossed over the title sequence portion here, mm-hmm. and there are certain things that did change in the title sequence from the first season, certain events that took place in the first season. And um, And by the way, for anyone out there who's like, I don't feel like going back and watching season one to remember what the hell happened there, the edited recap is very well done good very well done at the beginning of this so if you want to like check that out feel free to do that but in terms of the title sequence i actually want to bring up an emailer ryan who reached out about the title sequence itself the suspense gotta love it okay so it turns out it's not an email that we got it was actually a comment on our youtube channel which if you haven't subscribed you can subscribe to the soapbox network we post all of our videos up there, all of our podcast and our content, same day, most of the time. So, all right, it's actually from D. Giesinger. He goes, did you notice the changes to the opening credits? I believe they have the new queen, Harry with wings, and Demerzel with her face ripped off. I think hmm. this confirms 100% the Raven blew up as it was this kind of ambiguous thing during season one. I think beyond Harry being corrupted last season, I think he's driven himself mad being conscious in his confinement for 130 years, which is probably why he's so mad. Yeah. I would have to agree. By the way, those title sequences, they're kind of tough to catch because it, it, everything's going on so kind of... It feels almost one-to-one from season one, but there's definitely some updates with some of the updated plot lines, right? Mm-hmm. But to, you know, sorry, I, uh, Oh, no, no, finish your thought. No, but to his point, I just it's pretty obvious why Harry would lose his mind. It's taken... I'm imagining time doesn't flow the way it does in reality when you're inside of a cube. I would imagine it moves a little faster, almost like a being outside of space and time. Um, But he has been in confinement for over 130 something years. 
So there's always that. Yeah, I'm not sure if time would move faster or slower. I I was going to kind of mention a little a little earlier when we were seeing Harry have his like manic breakdown. It's like he's been in like just imagine yourself being in solitary confinement for 138 years. Nobody to talk to. It's just yourself. And on top of that, man, he's in some really trippy place. So I would imagine your brain would be a little fried from that. Yeah. Well, on Synax, the waters rise almost completely. There's no sign of life, at least in this portion of the planet. And we finally get our pickup from where Salvor and Gale, you know, a little mother-daughter reunion here. And mm-hmm. it's not going that great. And you really can't blame Gale for it. I mean, Salvor has been thinking about this moment for a long time of meeting her, her mother here, right? And thinking how it was going to go. But the magical connection she was hoping for isn't quite what she expected. And Gail's in a little bit of a transition period here where she needs to kind of um, digest this new information. Because one thing is having an embryo you put in a in a bank. Another thing is seeing this grown woman who's biologically older than you, which we do yeah. get confirmation that Salvor is biologically older than Gail, which we thought yep. she would be at this point, right? Yeah, so we were, we were right on that. Absolutely. It's a lot for Gail to take in, which is pretty understandable, right? I mean, she's been in cryo for going on 170 something years because she did the 138 year journey from the Raven, right? And then she also did about a 30 something year cryo from the foundation ship when she witnessed Harry being stabbed by Raish. Yeah. She's been asleep for a long time, man. I mean, as she she had no idea there was any kid anywhere, so it really would be a surprise. I mean, yeah. Salvor at least knew. She, now, she's been asleep for a long time too, but I mean, she had the contact, right? She, she's not going to be so surprised. I'm still interested to know how... I can understand why how Salvor ended up there, right? Because she would probably have figured mm-hmm. out that Synax was her mother's home planet somehow. I don't know how yeah. she got that information, but she probably found a well, way to... There was the girl that jumped in or dove into the water. Are they the only the water planet? The only water planet in the entire galaxy, though. I don't. I doubt it. You know. Uh, but but her uh, the the mother that raised Would her, I should say, yeah. knew Gale, right? Like, I mean, Gale recognizes her by name. Yeah. Let's pause for a moment here. We have. I kind of still want to know how Salvor, because she's been in cryo for the same amount of time. That's what we mm-hmm. pick up also on this episode. She's been in cryo for 138 years, right? Mm-hmm. What led her to do that? Did the ship crash? And that's what happened. Was it a storm? Did she get there when that prophetic storm that Gail had been thinking about occurred? You know? Oh, that would be interesting. You- I don't. I mean, I, f- I feel like this world has been underwater for quite some time. And I believe I remember hearing that the ship had crashed, like it, like there was like a crash landing or something. I'm not quite sure why or what happened, but that's, I guess, how she ended up in some cryopod, yeah. just resting there for potentially all of eternity. Yeah. Well, from Synax, we go to Trantor and we see, we actually get a little bit of a helpful narration from Gale, who says that day by day, decade by decade, the first foundation was nibbling planets away from the Empire. So we're picking up in a time where the foundation has essentially made alliances with several of the planets on the outer edge of the galaxy under like unbeknownst to the actual empire themselves because they got distracted with the information of 
the clone being tampered with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everything that the Foundation has been doing to this point has been completely hidden from the Empire because of that mega flare that they had created back in season one. Yeah, which we can talk about how they discovered that, which I found a little humorous in the manner of which they discovered. But on yeah. Tarantor, we get this completely unique introdu- introduction to Cleon, who is no longer the very polished, regal emperor. He's more of a rock star living on the edge, living pretty free uh, version of Cleon mm-hmm. who happens to be banging Demerzel, which is creepy in every sense of the way we imagine <laughs> this hap- could happen. But even though yeah. it was pretty clear in season one that Demerzel had something with Cleon the first. So it's kind of a living hell for her if you think about it. If she was romantically involved with Cleon, right? Cleon the first. Yeah. She's seeing this man being born and re, like pretty much reincarnated for eternity, you know? And she was definitely yeah. in love with him because that moment she has on the ship when they take Dusk up to destroy the Star Bridge, right? Or to get rid of yep. the remains of the Star Bridge in season one, she has a tear streaming down her face, you know? But mm-hmm. this day's unfazed. He's, he's unlike any other Cleon we've met so far. And he's definitely an individual... And has you can see that the actual clone has been tampered because he is far away from Cleon, the first vision of the Emperor. He's actually pretty unfazed by this assassination attempt, which I found really interesting because it's we don't really see the Emperor getting his hands dirty in season one. But here he is in the opening scene, literally having sex with Demerzel, getting up, using her as a human shield and a, a projectile object. And... Yeah. um then fending off an entire assassination attempt by this dark sector trained blind angels faction that has been hired to try to assassinate him. Yeah. I mean, while doing that completely naked, yeah, completely uh, naked, his, reaction, naked. <laughs> his reaction in this and the way that he just kind of like owns what's going on here makes me think that maybe this isn't the first time that people have tried Did to kill him. Did it feel that way? It literally yeah. felt that this was just run-of-the-mill day day in the life, yeah. which uh, if we can pause for a second because there's a lot to unpack here. Oh, um, man, there is. There is just this sense that he's so brazen. Like, he's definitely abusing his power. He's living out of control. I mean, he's having sex with her with his doors open, you know? So, I'm thinking yeah. to myself that, is this a secret? Like, what's going on here? At first, it, I thought it was a prostitute. Uh, but there's oh, that's what I thought <laughs> yeah but there's a lot of nuance to this scene as well because his aura his protective aura was tampered with so whoever planned this assassination attempt and we don't know who that is yet which is an interesting subplot to keep track of on the show mm-hmm. is probably from the inside whether it's one of his brothers or whether it's someone else within the palace and we had an email to write in who said he thinks maybe Demerzel is not so loyal to the Empire anymore. And it's an interesting point because if Demerzel... And the last thing we see of Demerzel in season one is she snaps Don's neck, right? Yeah. Against her own will because she rips her face off in frustration at the end <laughs> in, in, in a way that leaves me haunted at night still. Um, uh-huh. But how could this be beneficial towards Cleon the First Vision? Has Demerzel reach this new form of consciousness where she's just doing whatever the hell she wants at this point. Yeah. I mean, going into this season, right? Like that was, that was a thought that I had. I, I mentioned it in one of the previous episodes that I thought there might be like some sort of uh, rift between 
Demerzel and Empire. Though, after getting a little farther into this episode, it doesn't quite feel like that anymore, which is interesting. I'm, I'm not sure what to think about it, but it is interesting. I, I want to know a little bit more about how we've gone from snapping little Don's neck to, I guess, betting Brother Day. Yeah, and it's taken... That was Cleon the 13th that we leave off with in season one. So, we've passed through the 14th, 15th, 16th, and we're now in the 17th. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that this is the first Cleon since the first who has romanced Demerzel. Now, Day does say that she's the one who initiated. If we take him at face value, that's one thing. But the way this Cleon acts, winking at everybody and walking around naked for the first like 25 minutes of the episode, (laughs) uh, are we to believe him? He seems like he does what the hell he wants. Seems like he's almost based on like Nero or something like that. You know, like the empire's falling and here's just this debaucherous king who does what the hell he wants, sleeps with the hell he wants, kills who he wants, and pretty much breaks all protocol from all previous uh, Caesars or emperors. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the kind of guy that will do anything that he wants to do. I agree. But Demerzel does say in this episode that it was a gift to him. Can, can right? we believe her? She also told Don that she wouldn't hurt him or she wouldn't let them that's kill her. That's a, that's a very fair point. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and to her point, she could have killed him earlier in the episode. And at first I thought she did because when they're having sex, she says, look me in the eyes. And I thought maybe it was to distract him. Mm-hmm. However... She could have let him die because on the knife was a nanoparticle toxin, something or other. And when she's carrying him to the medical bay, she says he has 12 seconds before the toxin enters his brainstem and kills him. So, she could have let that 12 seconds pass. She could have walked a little bit slower. But no, she rushed his ass there, threw him in the pool and injected him herself. Mm -hmm. And he trusts um, such few people around him. That he wouldn't even take anesthesia for the <laughs> medical procedure, which I don't blame him. I'd probably do the same thing if I was him. You don't know who the hell's yeah. trying to decant another version of your of you. You know, he doesn't want to yeah. die, as we find out later in the episode. Absolutely, and I mean, you know, his brothers do have uh, they, they have motive. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, I wanted to make another point because when we see the city of Transwar prior to seeing Day and Demerzel getting it on. It looks different. The city's expanded uh, deeper. We see these rings, these expansive rings outside of it. They, a construction project that feels like it would have taken more than 138 years to do, but uh, who knows what technology they have uh, at this point in the future. Manpower. But the the palace seems surrounded almost. It, feel, it looks like the city's overpowering it at this point. You know, It doesn't look as impressive as it did in season one because Trantor in the background is just so much higher. It feels like so much yeah. more powerful than this little puny palace in the middle of all this greenery around it, right? Yeah, it feels more integrated with the world around it. I, I do agree. And I mean, we're in episode one. I feel like we have a lot more people coming to visit in the palace, right? Like, So, it seems a little more accessible too than it did in, in season one. I mean, you're only really going there to be exiled or killed. <laughs> that or yelled at and pass out. Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, let's continue on here. We get Harry continuing with his new reality, right? This is very much this first episode seems that Harry is, (laughs) he has the training wheels on in his little mind pyramid. And if you watch Sherlock Holmes on the BBC, he has this thing that's like the mind pyramid where he goes to, yeah. yeah, it's like his place he goes in his own mind. I forget what he calls it. 
something the something palace the mind palace i don't know what the hell he calls it but i need one uh yes you do and it's the place where he like pieces everything together of how he solves his crimes and uh it feels very much like that's the vibe harry's got going on here but it feels very <laughs> claustrophobic i'm not gonna lie if i was in one of these little confined you know endless mirror chambers i, I think we'd look like harry too <laughs> yeah it looks like you're in a fun house having an acid trip Mirrors everywhere. There's just no way out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we do get a flashback to his childhood, and we learn a little bit about him. He definitely grew up in poverty. Seems to have had a loving relationship with his mother. His dad seems like he was a mean drunk. Someone who's kind of like one of these angry guys who's mad about his his the cards that were dealt to him and wants to take it out mm -hmm. on everybody around him. But Helicon looks very barren. Right, it's a like his house is kind of yeah. carved into this mountainside. Feels a little bit like um, where you find Luke in, you know. It's really funny that you mention that because seeing this scene, I think of like Luke Skywalker and his yeah. uncle, you know, and aunt. What's her name? May. Um, it just it felt like they were is it May, or is that uh, is I, that Peter Parker's aunt? Well, that's that too, but I can't, whatever, whatever his, I guess, adopted aunt and uncle was on, uh, what is Tatooine? that, Tatooine, I believe. It's been so long since I've seen that, but yeah, it reminded me so much of, of, of the, uh, the scene Even there. Even the bowl cut. Yeah. Especially that, that did it for me. <laughs> well, something about this flashback is significant because it's the moment he realizes the 3D object in his hand it has a 2D shadow and it helps him kind of simplify the reality in which he's in because he is now, is he a four or five dimensional being at this point? Well, the, the whole thing was, oh, he's a, a, four was dimensional a three dimensional object. object and a two dimensional shadow. He's a three dimensional he's a four -dimensional. object in a four dimensional space. No, he, I think that's what he's it a is. four dimensional object in a three dimensional with a three dimensional shadow. That's what he says. If you rewind it 10 seconds, you'll see mm. that. And it makes sense okay. in a way, right? Because he's outside of space and time at this point. But he can also embody in the 3D world, right? Yeah. Now, he, I'm still confused as to what exactly he is. Though, agreed. Right? I'm going to need like, <laughs> I'm going to need a couple more episodes and hopefully a couple of Harry explainers uh, in the future to understand what's going on. I, I'm with the rest of y'all out there. <laughs> if anybody out there has a better grip on this than we do, please let us know. But it, it is very um, confusing, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like that. That like um, I think you re referenced it in uh, the instant reaction. It kind of feels like Interstellar, where you're just trapped in this in-between space. Yeah. yeah, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's oh, no. <laughs> let me leave, Murph. <laughs> um, he comes across his life mate Yana which is a little bit cruel but I can see why you would want like your, your lover your soulmate you know being the one who welcomes you to the afterlife you know it's maybe <laughs> not don't bring me a stranger as the first person I see even if you're faking it but uh, yeah, Yana is actually being impersonated by the Prime Radiant who I mean, we don't really have a sense of what this character wants, but she seems to have had this mind of her own, right? The Prime Radiant has become this actual living, almost spiritual being. And we kind of toyed with this idea that maybe there is something deeper 
to psychohistory. Maybe this is the answer to Gail's intuition. If Gail can feel the future, she can dream the future, and Salvor can dream the past, maybe there is this spiritual dynamic in this world that we're seeing in the foundation. And that's sort of like this, the fantasy aspect here, right? The magic, so yeah. to speak. Not, I'm not yeah, saying there's going to be mages or anything like that. I'm just saying like... Oh, that would, that would be good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not quite sure. I, I think psychohistory itself is like, it's, what is it? it it's the math, it's the application, uh, you know, or the science or whatever, mm-hmm. right? This, this uh, space that he's actually in right now this prime radiant it it feels like a computer system right like so it's like a computer running a script or something that's the way that i kind of envision this yes you mentioned it can take in information manipulate it and you know provide information but i think it's just kind of utilizing you know the math and the science or whatever that is behind behind psychohistory and a few other things that we we got like a little preview to in the first season yeah well back on synex Gail and Salvor are still getting to know each other pretty much here. Salvor's still looking for that connection to her mother in a way and learns about Gail's intuition of how she can dream the future, right? Mm-hmm. While Salvor admits that she dreams the past. So together they kind of, you know, complete each other. Or maybe them two combined with Harry complete each other because he has the plan one can see the future, one can tie in the past to, you know, together you can tie everything else, right? Yeah. Side note, the coolest canoe in the world makes an appearance in this episode. <laughs> this coo- canoe can never... excited. It exists. This canoe exists. I need this canoe. If you know where it is, please send a link because Mario will swim up to my... Uh apartment in that canoe i need a canoe with the in the canister that she takes out of that cryopod and just throws it in the ocean and it expands that's what i want yeah it's like one of those like instant tents you just like pull a string or something and it just pops up i was also hoping by the way in synax that we'd see a little bit more ocean life you know maybe some corals or something or you know some crazy sea monster like i wanted a little more from synax i know we're still there so it could happen We've seen hints of giant creatures in the water. Yeah. But this has got to be the craziest, like, big game hunting, big game fishing uh, planet in the world. Like, just the whole fishing show on Synax. Potentially, yeah. I mean, you got to have a ship to get on and get off and not wreck it. But, yeah, I mean, as long as you, you're, you've got a guaranteed way off, I imagine this would be a good, good place for sport. It would be a great video game. Like, there's a game that came out called Dredge where you just like this little mm-hmm. fishing boat. And it has like, it's kind of like a psychological uh, horror fishing simulator type of thing. Uh, good yeah. little combo. That's what they should do with Synax. Like a game like that where you're f- taking your little boat around and then you have like little villages you can upgrade and just take your fish to sell them. And then simultaneously you have to like fight these giant ass sea creatures. That'd be cool. And big waves or horror. Yeah, hurricanes, like environmental factors out, yeah. too. That'd be dope. All right. Um, We find out that it's been 173 years. We finally get the number that we need there. Since the foundation was exiled to Terminus. And by the way, if you haven't kept track of Terminus, it is flourishing. And we get this really neat scene of all like a nice wide shot of Terminus. And this, I wrote a side note here. Like I love the siren alarm, like the alarm siren sound. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very cool. 
Very cool. Yeah. It's it's much uh, much farther along than what we left off on. I don't even think I could see the end of it. I mean, before I, I remember being able to kind of like see the entire city in, in a, like a wide shot, but I feel like it just bleeds on a lot farther. Yeah, and we've got a new casting here as the new warden of Terminus. It's played by Holt McCallany, who if you've seen Mindhunter on Netflix and several other things he's been in, he's a fantastic actor and should be a fun character. I've never seen this guy play a character that I didn't like. So, I'm expecting him to become a sort of fan favorite here in season two. Yeah, I, I mentioned in the instant reaction, I think he's going to be our, our Hugo replacement since I don't think we're going to have you, Hugo Let me ask you that. This. Let me ask you that because that, that's a wager I want to take. And we typically, for all of you out there who may be new to the show, we typically start every season and create wagers. Reckless wagers that me and Zach both bet on and decide... Um, which side we're on and the loser has to buy the winner their drink of choice, usually a bottle of whiskey or some other. Almost always. Spirit. But I I would like to wager whether Hugo Crass is alive or dead. And I'm going to have you. I have made a decision (laughs) and I'm willing to bet on this decision. And there's going to be multiple wagers that we make, but I'm willing to say that Hugo Crass is alive. Have you looked at the cast and is that why no, you're, you're I have making not. that decision? I have not. Okay, because so. I haven't either, but I I don't think Hugo's alive. I, I think he ages just like a normal individual. And, you know, I think because we don't have this this nice Hugo-esque character who I, I don't know if he would have taken over as Warden or not after uh, Salvor left, but it seems like a possibility since he doesn't have the beggar. Um I, I think this is just going to be our, our feel in this. So, that, 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 I'll, that's the stance I'll take. I'll go with okay, that. Okay. So, you're saying Hugo's dead. Yeah. I think you we can, are... Don't do loopholes. I've been accused by audience members out there that I'm a sore loser. They're full of shit. They don't know what they're talking about. But you either say he's dead or he's alive. You can't do an in-between here. No, no. I'm not doing an in-between. I was just going to say I think we're a few centuries beyond his, uh, his lifetime. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, decades at the very I'm going to say somehow he's alive. So that'll be the okay. first wager as we figure out what the others will be. Alrighty. I'm writing it down right now. Okay, cool. Well, back to Terminus and what was going on there. The siren's going off for the first time in 138 years, which happens to be the last time the vault has that beam that shines through the sky. Um, seems that now Harry's been referenced as a prophet by the new warden of Terminus and that the prophet promised he was coming back and they see this as a sign or a warning that the Empire is about to strike, which I think is safe to say can be considered the second crisis. Mm. Okay. And yeah. let me expand on that in a second here if you can pause. But the vault, the way it's working is that the null field is reducing. And when the null field reduces completely and is safe to approach, it means that Harry has returned to give word, but seems like he left a pretty serious, hefty protocol about what happens when he comes back because they are all on the same page about this. Yeah. I mean, it seems like uh, he is only triggered or this vault is only triggered to reduce the null field so that he does, you know, at, the, at some point emerge when there is a crisis. I mean, in, in season one, he was, on, or the, the vault only started to, react because of the anacreons which was the first crisis yeah well even with that being said i mean we we do see 
We do see how Terminus looks great now, but I think it's safe to say that the Empire could squash them like an ant if they wanted to at this point still. Um, if, I, if I had to guess, I'm just thinking they could probably do it pretty easily. It, yeah, I mean, it looks like they would probably have the fleet and the firepower. Yes. But what we don't know is how many planets were, as Gale put, put it, nibbled away and what arms do they have? That is the true question, but I kind of feel that Dusk was the one who was correct in this episode, that the answer should have just been squash them. It's like shoot and ask questions <laughs> later, you know? That's kind of, that, I think that would be my approach here. I mean, you've already- Sounds like our old day. Yeah, you've whittled, you've whittled away for 138 years of inaction. You need to mm -hmm. act swiftly, you know, and use the element of surprise to your favor. Now, um- we do meet a new leader of this foundation on Terminus. He kind of looks like an old Caesar, like he has the Caesar cut, but he's just, uh, <laughs> we don't know who this character is yet, but I'm assuming he'll play a role, but he seems to be the new mayor of the Terminus Foundation. Okay, on to Synax, where we do get, for the first time, an actual, it seems like a tutorial of how to use the Prime Radiant, really. A little bit, yeah. 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 Just like there's a little flourish, like you flip it, tap it, eh. whisper to yeah, it. Yeah, well, before we, she actually shows it, Gale and Sabor have a little bit of a back and forth. We find out that Gale is actually not on good terms with Harry. But Sabor accuses her of not being scared of Harry, but scared of the plan itself. And in my opinion here, Sabor doesn't say this, I think Gale might be a little nervous as to what her role in this plan might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Especially since she's... I mean, completely screwed up the plan. Or some mixture of her and Raish has screwed up this plan. Yeah. She also said at one point that she... The reason she solved the Abraxas... Um, the Abraxas... Comp, like that puzzle that was in season one that yeah. she was the competition for. Um, was to save her planet. She had had hopes to save her planet. At least that was one of her hopes, right? Mm -hmm. And in doing this she's failed on that one because she's finally returned to her planet and her parents are dead. Unless they escaped pl the planet, her parents are definitely dead because, I mean, it's been 170-something years, you know? So they yeah. have, they absolutely have to be dead. I mean, even if they did escape the planet, they're, they're still dead. Unless they decided to go sleep in a cryopod too, which I hope they didn't. Yeah. Well, she has managed to trap Harry inside of the Prime Radiant, which is this sort of cube object that she's a Salvor brought from Terminus. And we're to understand that she has transferred Harry's consciousness from the knife over the knife is the only data storage thing that I can think of uh, mm -hmm. that she uses there, right? Yeah, I totally forgot that Salvor was the one that brought yeah, if you can pause the Prime Radiant. Yeah, that's interesting. So I guess it had to have been from the knife. You see, I mean, which makes me think there might be three of them. Harry mentions that he put something behind his ear, right? Yeah. And then we see that thing from behind his ear being put onto the knife because we know the Raven was meant for Raish. So being Gale being sent there, it, it threw everything off. But Gale has temporarily trapped him inside of the Prime Radiant. Which is interesting to me because later in this episode, she's very hesitant to open it up, but here she seems to open it up. So 
I'm, you know what I mean? There's a little bit of a plot hole situation there, or am I wrong about that? Yeah, I, I don't know if you're wrong or not. I mean, is it is it opening it up versus just like turning it on? Like, I don't, I don't know if that would like unlock something or open a door for Harry to get out. I'm not, I really have no clue how that works. Yeah. I want to give a little breakdown of what's in this prime reading, if anyone's confused out there. It holds Harry's entire plan, and it is up to date, like with real-time data. This thing is adapting yeah. with real-time. And Zach, maybe you caught this or not, but we see several crises that deviate from Harry's plan. And his plan is in blue, and then you have the deviation in red. And his mm -hmm. plan is to reduce the age of darkness for this galaxy as m much as possible. And if it gets really bad enough, if it diverts enough from his plan... The age of yeah. darkness could never end. It could just be this perpetual thing that occurs forever. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I saw that. It looks like there was like a split from this timeline at, at the time of the first crisis. And I'm just going to assume that that was probably because Gale wasn't there, right? And this, for some reason, has pivoted down another path. And it just continues to get worse, right? Like, it, it does not look like there is a end in sight. It looks like the, the, the crises just keep continuing on and on and on well, and on more and more frequently. If too. I'm to understand, it's not that those other dots have happened. I believe we're at the second dot. We're, yeah, we're, we're at the beginning of that second yes, dot is, is my that, understanding. That the second too, dot yeah. hasn't occurred yet. And so mm -hmm. that if, in my opinion, what the second crisis will be is the empire will attack the Terminus Foundation, hmm. which begs the question or actually proves the point of Harry the Terminus Foundation was meant to be a distraction from the Helicon Foundation. Because he probably knew that Terminus was on borrowed time. Yeah. It was going to only be a matter of time before the Empire found out that, hey, they're not dead. They're actually alive. This whole plan <laughs> to make it seem like we were wiped out by a solar flare. Eventually, the Empire is going to catch on, right? And yeah. We can thank Farah yeah. for that one, for prematurely shooting the commander on the outside of the Invictus. And what I can only assume is like the perfect direction, you know, back towards the Empire instead of away. Floating for right? over a century. <laughs> In space. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to come by this body just floating in the middle of nothingness? Yeah, it was an interesting choice to to make that the way they found out. <laughs> I'll say that. It was a it was a cute little. Uh, we, we finally got to saw the video that he recorded that he yeah. never got to send. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Salvor gets the lowdown on what's going on with the plan, and she can see why Gail is so horrified by it, which eh, understandably so, right? And to be honest, yeah, but it looks like it would happen if you didn't intervene, though, right? There's not much guidance going on here right now from That's Harry. True. So, uh, what do you do? And what's weird is that Salvor actually solved the first crisis like she helped overcome it and they still since then they have been deviating for 138 years so maybe cleon the mm -hmm. 17th is doing something right you know maybe although doesn't this mean that they're gonna end up in even more amounts of our time uh, time period of darkness this is true eventually yes, I, I guess this is true but i don't know if that is, i guess that's bad for the empire it seems to me that the empire is doomed regardless according to harry's plan yeah yeah i mean he's no longer as i guess immortal as he once was he's ever changing you know when he's dead he's dead there is no new version of him it's a different individual completely yeah 
Well, so far, Zach, I think the most interesting thing to me in this new season is the intrigue and mystery going on in the royal palace, so to speak. You have Emperor Day who refuses to go to sleep while being treated medically because he doesn't know if the medical team is behind his assassination attempt or maybe he can't even trust himself in the form of dawn and dusk. We don't know who can be trusted. And he even subjects Don and Dusk to um, neural audits so that he can get to the bottom of who attempted to take his life. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I don't think it was one of the brothers. I do. I, you do? Yeah, I do. I feel like it, if it, I feel like it would have come a bit later. I think it would have come now, right before he gets involved in this marriage and they can call this crap off immediately, right? Whether it's the brothers or whether it's that galactic council we've heard of that adheres to Cleon the First Division, this this Cleon needs to die. If you're trying to keep it to the Cleon the First Vision, he absolutely needs to die. And he's made some changes because, I mean, first and foremost, really dope uniforms of the Kingsguard here. Um, mm-hmm. and he's got this neat system now where at the twist of his fingers, shots are fired. And I don't know if that's like a ro- like a AI or a robot, which I don't believe it's a robot because Demerzel is the last one. But mm-hmm. if those are human trained soldiers, they are on command, like spectacularly changed to react to the, just the flick of his fingers. Yeah, they are. I mean, that, I mean... We've seen that a lot in the last season as well. I mean, he's got all of the power in his fingers. That's all he's got to do. Yeah, well, he does bite. I literally wrote in my notes, new Shadow Master, and then I put bye-bye Shadow Master because just immediately killed. Pretty much killed for <laughs> negligence because I don't believe that the Shadow Master was involved in the plan to try to kill Day. I don't think so. You know, I was thinking about this whole plan of uh, this assassination attempt. At first, at the beginning of the episode, I actually thought it was like some training program or something. Oh, okay. Um, I thought it was just like, you know, it's it's like a workout, you know, just in case it happens, you know, we're we're training for this, but that was definitely not the case. I kind of wonder, and I'm not, I'm not betting on this. It's, It's just the thought that I had. Could it, you know, could this have been from his potential future queen in an effort to try and you know, steal power at some point. I don't think so because it wouldn't make sense to kill your husband-to-be before you marry him and can actually inherit the power. That's true. That's fair. The best bet of getting this power is to marry him and to get pregnant really fast. Yeah. Because even if she kills him, if she doesn't have a kid, she, if her only ally in this whole palace is going to be to whip this guy so bad <laughs> that he goes against 17 generations of tradition in order to put his kid on the throne. Because that's what's yeah, going to happen well, here. And that's the main controversy that Don tries to talk Day out of in this scene where they have a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. He is telling him, what happens when you're gone? The whole point of having kids <laughs> is for them to replace you, right? Yeah. And he says you know, what's going to occur. He's pretty much predicting, and I think rightfully so, something's going to happen. You know, I'm supposed to take over. What happens when you have a kid? You're gone. You're dusk. What's going to happen at that point? Are we moving away from the clones entirely? Is that the plan here now? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that's Day's plan is to get married and to have a kid because I think he just, 
he wants the power. I think he wants to take it away from his brothers. The only issue I have with assuming that it, it's probably like Dawn or something like that is personally, it just feels too obvious to me. And that's what's making me skeptical about it. I could see that. I mean, when I said that I thought it was them, it was kind of like half-baked. It feels more like it might be some outside council that Dusk refers to right before Don gets his neck snapped. He says, if the the Galactic Council hears about this or the Galactic Order, you know, I think there's another layer of governance that also keeps things in check, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. What do you think about this Demerzel and Day relationship? Do you think that she initiated it with him? And also, because she says that line that you mentioned earlier, if you can say it again, the whole... If it's offered and it was a gift. Yeah. If, if anything offered yeah. in love, then it's not indecent. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the line. She is the most mysterious character on the show to me. By yeah. She also seems less poised than this. Now, granted, she did get half of her head chopped off, and, you know, <laughs> we first saw her in bed and then in a, in a fight scene here, but, um, like like her her style just seems a bit more messy. The way that she walks and carries herself, and this way that she she brings day and you know dumps him into this pool uh, because of that neurotoxin thing. It just it didn't feel quite as you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm used to the you know extremely yeah, good like assassinator. Exactly. Just you know you know hands clasped, regal, yeah. poised. Exactly. Is she not wearing her salt bracelet anymore? Hmm. I didn't I, I didn't notice, but that's something I want to keep track of in the future. Maybe she lost it when she put her hand through that guy's Maybe body. Maybe she lost her faith. <laughs> Maybe she lost her faith somewhere along the way. That too. That it would be a good thing to keep an eye out for. Yeah. I agree with you though. She she is like Cleon the seventeenth in a way. She's not herself. She's looser, right? She's not mm-hmm. quite the demerzel we're used to seeing. In fact, mm-hmm. Day seems to be the one who's deviated most, although there is a there's a subtle individuality about dawn and dusk, you know? Yeah. And I'm I'm starting to wonder, is it not all overblown a little bit? Like if they had never known that the original clone sample was tampered, I feel like it would have been like a placebo. Like if they didn't know it was wrong, that was a secret that should have probably never been given or shared. That should have just been kept a secret forever and nobody should have known about it. Because now they're, well, like they're overemphasizing it a bit. Yeah, but I mean, in the in the last season with the Don that got his neck snapped, I don't. He didn't know in the beginning that anything was tampered with, but he knew he was different. He knew he wasn't the same. He had his own, and you know, in, individuality. He did. He just did not fit in. So I feel like they would still kind of realize that, but. I, I do think they're definitely more free now that they know. Well, it's not all they know because Dusk also knows he's been betting Demerzel and gives him a talking to, but this Dusk is helpless. This, Day is, is, he is not accepting the counsel of either of his brothers. He is doing what he wants to do entirely. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder, I wonder if we're going to get any flashbacks as to if he's always been like this or whether this was something that was, that came later in life. Because even as an earring, like he's just. Yeah. He's a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he is. I I don't know that we're gonna get a lot of flashbacks to like understand how he got to this point. I I feel like that just might be one of those things that we need to accept. Like this is who he is right now. Yeah. 
Well, in talking to Dust, they're actually awaiting the arrival of Queen Sarath, who seems to be a very powerful, I would assume that she's probably the second most powerful person in the Empire, if I had to guess. Like, she's the most eligible bachelorette out there for the Emperor to choose this woman as his queen for the first time in history. I would assume that she is absolutely a huge deal. But we do find yeah. out that she potentially engineered the accident that made her queen. And I'm assuming we will learn more about that and find out how power hungry she is because she's not that impressed with Trantor. She's not impressed with the rings. She's about efficiency and growing mm-hmm. the empire, right? Yeah. And when the emperor gives her the gift of Trantor in brass, she says, well, surely the empire is not only Trantor. So she has her eyes set on a less diminished view of Trantor. Yeah. She actually sees through all the BS, right? She sees the weakness of, of the Empire at this moment, and she is pouncing. She's going to get what's hers. Yeah, and, you know, while I think you made a good point earlier about it being, you know, ill-timing if if it were her, like, it's that element of that, you know, just hunger for power, willingness to do seemingly whatever it takes, though we don't know what that is just yet, mm-hmm. to get power makes me think that, you know, I mean, if I were Day, I wouldn't want to trust her that much. I think that would be a little dangerous. She's gonna, she's gonna want something more. Yeah, well, he does seem to trust her because he goes even so far as to tell Demerzel to speak in front of your future Empress. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. she's like Yoko being invited to the band practice. <laughs> okay. So Synax, there's a hurricane that is coming in. I'm kind of hoping we get to see this storm on Synax in the next episode. I want to see. Some crazy effects. This planet looks epic with those rings going across the sky, like those natural like Saturn-looking yeah. rings. It's so dope. It reminds me of um, No Man's Sky, to be honest with you. I haven't played it, but I've seen some gameplay. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. It does It does kind of look like it's from the game. Yeah. Well, the plan here is, according to Salvor, the beggar's a tough ship, and it should be able to be rebooted and treated as like a literal ship like that can float on the water apparently surf so they have this plan to go down there and to pretty much hold their breath until they can get the ship rebooted which is successful because gale saves salvor's ass salvor although she's a a synaxian in her blood Mm -hmm. she is not made for this planet like gale's like a fish in water if you just see her the way she swims she's like a mermaid level swimmer it's pretty impressive. Well, Salvor did kind of grow up on, on like a desert-looking it's planet. I, I didn't really see any bodies of water there. But yeah, I mean, it's in her blood, but not not enough. Yeah. Also, this ship, what is it made out of? Because for being underwater for like 138 years and not rusting or anything, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is pretty impressive. But, you know, you figure in the future, who knows what kind of metals they're using. Yeah, it just constantly repairs itself like the, the nanobots or nanoparticles in, uh, yeah. in the Empire's bloodstream. What gets me with all these underwater scenes is, have you ever dived underwater? Yeah, I have. Uh, visibility. Not extremely deep. Visibility is not this easy like with go- without goggles. No. Like, yeah. no. Like, not even two attempts to go to this reboot section. <laughs> just the first attempt. Swim in, swim out. Yeah, yeah, well... No, this was just an all-or-nothing move. It really was. <laughs> it you, almost was nothing. They just die. Harry stuck in that cube forever on Synax. Like, <laughs> yeah. end of the show, pretty much. <laughs> Harry, uh, Harry gets out of the cube, and he's just like, 
Where the hell Where am I? Where am I? Because <laughs> the Travolta. But. Yeah. Um, all right, back to Trantor. Sarith has this elaborate queen's arrival ceremony in the main hall of the palace, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very much a show, right? It's very, everything, there's a subtext to everything, right? First and foremost, we're seeing the beauty of Queen Sarith for the first time, which, which yeah. day is very much taken back by. Dusk has a very unregal moment. It feels like they're like, they're figuring out everybody's weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. It seems that Dusk's weakness is a, an affinity towards these colors for his murals, the moving tapestries that we've seen so much in season one. And that yep. is the inspiration for the title sequence of the show. But he gets up like a little kid looking at a new toy. And I thought that that was very unbecoming of somebody who should be the most um, cautious or conservative of the three here. What did you think of that yeah. reaction from Dusk when they bring out those little paints, those moving paints? It was kind of the funny. Chromas. It was very child. It was very childish, yeah. uh, especially from the Dusk that we're familiar with, the one that, you know, smashes his painting and uses it as a weapon like, what is he like why is he acting like this your your younger version of yourself is deciding to marry a woman who's going to give him kids who are going to take over as emperor and replace the entire genetic dynasty like your whole your whole legacy is going to be ruined by this this should be the biggest controversy in the history of the Cleonic dynasty and if i was the shadow master i wouldn't let this pass yeah I'm I'm not sure what's going through their heads, though. You know, I don't think any of them have this same appreciation for the perfect clones that once were at this point. So I, I don't know how much they really care about how far they've kind of gone off off the path. Well, the ceremony is interrupted by Demerzel, who comes in. It makes me wonder if Demerzel is ever going to have an ounce of jealousy towards this new queen. I'm interested to see what the dynamic is there and whether that little love tri- if that becomes a love triangle between day Sarath, and demerzel i would be very interested to see what occurs there yeah i mean i was gonna say that the new queen has some competition but um yeah i have no idea what's actually gonna happen i think demerzel has some competition to be honest with you but um <laughs> well they don't she doesn't have the history come on who the new queen but the potential new queen as to her favor to be honest the whole demersel thing is creepy man it is it's creepy i didn't even know that was physically possible but okay yeah i think the only reason it doesn't feel that way is because you really only see her with a different it's all the time skips and the just a different the disconnected the disjointed way that the that you see the different ages of of cleon right yeah which brought something else to mind but i don't want to bring it up because it's in the trailer and mm. it makes me wonder about something later in the season. Not not having anything to do with Demerzel. It has something to do with, with the three brothers. But um, I'm going to keep that one to myself for now. Okay. But Demerzel does come in with a bit of news. They have found the body of Commander Dorwin, who's been <laughs> floating, his poor soul has been floating through space for the last century to upload this video. To let, him, let these people know about the Anacreon war party of Farah, the unkillable. Rowan, her right-hand man, and the Invictus, which essentially leads to the revelation that, hey, remember the foundation of Harry Seldon that we thought was eradicated and the planet of Anacreon and Thespis, mm-hmm. Thespis or wherever the planet's called? Mm-hmm. 
they're alive and well, and they've been edging away at each of the planets on the outer edge, forming little alliances. And we got a major problem on our hands, which I found ridiculous, by the way. The fact that it, yeah. it took... I understand that you found out your clone was tampered with, but you had 138 years. Nobody mm-hmm. came into the room and said, hey, we're not going to just send like one scout out there just to see what's up. Like, yeah. just a scout? They send a scouting ship, you know? Let's not forget they sent a ship out in response to something before and lost it. And they just didn't care. Nobody checked that timeline out. Hey, we lost the ship before the solar flare. And then they tell us that the solar flare, they did the readings and a solar flare never happened. Mm-hmm. So nobody... Yeah, I wonder when they found Nobody that looked out. into it. All right, so what do you think about the strategy here? Because now they know that the foundation is still very much existing and thriving. It's no longer a budding civilization. It is now a full functioning resistance or a colony of resistance towards the empire, right? And not only are they resisting solo, they're deciding to convince other planets to join them in this resistance. So are you going with Demerzel's Council of Restraint or Dusk's Council of very much along the lines of Cleon Twelfth? who wiped out an Acrian investment. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if I were rooting for the Empire, I think I would go with Dusk's move. Strike first. Get him by surprise. Swipe him out. I'm going full-fledged like everything's going. And by the way, remember when they tortured Azura in season one? Yes. yes. They mentioned this technology that they can target people's brain stems. And kill them instantly. I'm calling BS on that. Calling BS because if that was the case, position one of those ships, target everyone's brainstem and end everything. Yeah. I mean, they, what was it? Like 5,000 people or something like that? 1,500 something people. Yeah, I think that's right. 1,500 something um, that they like just had instantly ready to go. I think that was a bluff from the last season. I, I think it was just something to destroy her spirits as she's shrouded. Yeah here forever well the decided plan that they go with is to let the foundation continue while they figure out how deep it goes to see if the trunk is rotten how far the rebellion has spread right which is not a terrible plan Mm -hmm. but i think if you cut the head of the snake off in terminus that it's a better plan if you ask me i found it very interesting what demerzel said in breaking down the mythology being spread in the foundation rebellion i'll call it for now Mm -hmm. which is that they believe in a galactic spirit who will return and guide his people to a promised new age. Uh, Christ-like language there for Harry Seldon. He's reached, it seems, Messiah savior status of the foundation. For I mean, these people are living 138 years in the future, so as far as they know, this guy is larger than life, right? Yeah, I was going to say that the the story sounds a little familiar, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean, these people have been here all of their life to serve this one purpose. So I I imagine that a lot of them are going to continue believing that for a long, long time. Well, I have some bad news for them because they may believe all they want in Harry, okay? (laughs) But Harry lied about the existence of another foundation. They think they're the only one. And he Mm -hmm. told Gail that the reason for the Terminus Foundation very much was to pretty much take the bullets while this other second foundation is being founded, but we're very behind on that second foundation being founded. And I think that ends up being Gale and Salvor's next mission is to get that next foundation off the ground. 
while Terminus is dealing with the actual on the ground battle in this season. Mm. What do you what So do you, you think? think you think the second foundation hasn't started yet? I don't believe it has. I don't think Harry's made it to that planet yet, if I had to guess. Mm. I think that's why he's so pissed. That's why he calls Gale his tormentor. He he's trapped in a cube. He needs to get the helicon. That's probably why it's deviated from his plan so don't much. Call, don't call it a cube. Somebody called us out for calling it a cube in the last episode. Yeah, they, yeah but you know what they say? Don't critique unless you got a solution. <laughs> I don't know what is the shape then? What is the shape of yeah, this? Yeah, I, I I don't know what I would classify that thing. Okay. Um I I don't know. I, I'm confused as to whether or not the the Harry that is trapped in the Prime Radiant was the same Harry on the ship that was in the knife. My, I thought what happened was that his consciousness was uploaded from the knife to the ship and was existing there in, in a new form. Yeah. That's what I thought was going on. So, I'm a little confused and thrown off by this version of him here. And, you know, I, I think it would maybe make sense that there would be three of him. I mean, there is some, you know, like Christ-like, you know, can you pause for a second? Uh, perspective of him, it seems, right? So, why not be three? Why not have a, the trinity of Harry? We'll get to that. I actually want to get to this emailer at the end of this episode who mentions that. I, I do think that there's going to be three. I think there's a direct tie-in with the Emperor being three and Harry being three. Mm. Um, perhaps the most interesting or more intriguing thing that occurs in Harry's little mind labyrinth here, you know, whatever's going on in his mind. Or yeah. in reality, the Radiant, the Prime Radiant, she has a goal. She has a vested interest in humanity's destiny. And Harry says, oh, that's a little concerning. I, was, I would hope that you would say the Foundation's, you know, destiny, right? Mm-hmm. So, her vested interest isn't necessarily contingent or rooting for any one side, okay? Now, yeah. she's trying to help Harry knit his mind back together in a way. Mm-hmm. While Harry has this revelation to unfold and flatten everything, which leads him out of, I guess, this phase of whatever he's in. And I think leads him to the world uh, where Synax, of Synax on that ship. So, he's starting to get the hang of moving around and, and showing himself in the world. But she makes this promise. She says, I'll explain more if you make it to Una's world, which we don't know what that means yet or where the hell that is. But <laughs> if he makes it to Una's world, we will get more of an explanation from the Prime Radiant and what her interest in humanity is. So, at this point, Harry leaves somewhere else and we pick up with what's going on in Synax, which is Gale and Salvor on the ship. Salvor's pleading with Gale to open up the Prime Radiant so that they can get assistance from Harry and he can see what's wrong with the ship and how to fix it. But unbeknownst to them, Harry doesn't need the cube to be open to come out of the cube. He has now mastered <laughs> being a four-dimensional being, and he has now popped up in the ship. Yeah. And unlike the trailer of where everyone thought that he was talking to Emperor Day, the reckoning yeah. is not with Day. It's with his tormentor, Gail Dornick. <sighs> and that is the end of episode one, the premiere of season two in Selden's Shadow great episode really great and it's interesting to see harry being sent on a mission now instead of sending others on missions yeah right i mean he's he has to get his hands dirty now too in his own plan right because mm -hmm. he's been trusting everyone else to carry out his plan and he has been dead right 
That is for sure. We have, we did get a little quick look at the hurricane uh, in the background, which looks incredible. I mean, the visual effects in this are just incredible. And by the way, we just ended the episode and Foundation is officially on the top charts on Apple TV. Let's get a little round of applause. Yes, it is. Thank you. For all the team. That's just exciting. crew on Apple TV, everyone around the world who worked on the show. You guys did a great job. All of you out there, if you're listening to this podcast, pat yourself on the back, be proud. Have a nice cold one or a chocolate chip cookie. Whatever you're like, whatever your delight (laughs) in this life is, treat yourself this weekend as you see your your work that you've put such incredible detail into top the charts against some very steep competition. Yeah, seriously, with that hijack there. Okay. Yeah. Before we get into some extra thoughts, I want to give a shout out to Ryan who wrote in and he has a long email, but it's a good one. And I think we can tackle some of the things in here. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. He goes, welcome back foundation. Like what I'm seeing so far, there's so much to talk about. I wanted to mention a few things that I noticed and we'll stop and go here with certain points. The first thing is Cleon day, man, is he different now? This is understandable (laughs) as we know about what happened last season. And what has transpired with the clones, but it still took me by surprise. The days we were used to had an elegance about them, the way they spoke, moved, etc. They had a high class feel to them. This new day seems very out of place with his predecessors. He is so edgy now in the way he speaks and his mannerisms. His whole attitude seems different. He winked at least one time when speaking, actually twice. He winks at Don and then he winks at Demersel. Can't remember what he was saying, but it seemed odd and out of place with the day we're used to. When talking, he now uses less formal tones. Again, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I remember noticing it being different. Whatever it was, he just sounded very unformal compared to our old Cleons. I need to take notes like you guys. That may help. <laughs> Speaking of edgy, dude has an earring now and is banging Demerzel. What? He's like a midlife crisis Cleon. Laugh out loud. <laughs> There's a distinct difference in all three of them now, dawn, day, and dusk. Not the differences that come with age that we are used to with the three but more to do with them as individual people. They all seem to have their own individuality now. All three had personalities that contrasted with past versions and absolutely contrasted with each other. Ah, spot on. I, I just, yeah. there's just a, the empire is divided right now, literally within mm-hmm. itself. And all three of these, I think the least, we didn't see how much Dawn and Dusk are going to contrast with the former versions of themselves, but I think maybe as the season goes on, because right now they have a vested interest to behave, right? Because they're trying to talk their brother out of this marriage. But as things mm-hmm. begin to unravel, I'm interested to see what they do if things get desperate. Yeah, so am I. I, I don't think there's a single thing that I disagree with there. I mean, we definitely see their, I guess, more informal uh, personalities and just traits across the board. I mean, day not. To your point, Mario is, yes, not only naked for the half tw- uh, first 25 minutes of this, but walks around in like robes. The only time that we, we saw him wearing anything that covered a lot was when he was in the throne room. Yeah. Second paragraph here on Selden, which part of my favorite. I also have some thoughts on Harry Selden. I, like you, was confused about how Gil put him in the prime radiant. When I rewatch, I will listen more about the knife, I guess. Nice observation, by the way. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting how there are three of him now. Okay, so Ryan thinks that there's three of Harry. Assuming that the version Gale left in the ship made it to Helicon. As of right now, we are witnessing a Harry that is immortal in a sense, like Cleon is immortal in a sense. He also has three versions of himself existing at the same time, just as Cleon does. He is a godlike presence to his people now, just like Cleon is. 
It is an interesting parallel, to say the least. He's very much like Cleon. Both of them think that they are the only ones who can steer the ship, so to speak. Cleon for the Empire and Harry for the Foundation. Parentheses with an S in there. They share a very similar hubris. Okay. He also mentions hmm. another show where, and kind of messes with the idea of what if we see a consciousness or one or all of these Harry Seldons uploaded into a body at some point. They would know a lot, I would imagine. And be pre pre pretty smart, Harry. And last on his observations here, and actually, I wanted to write, put, say what I said on the matter of Harry. I put, I agree on the similarities between Harry and the Empire. In many ways, Harry was Cleon the first, leaving behind this plan that is bigger than the people actually bringing it to fruition. Just like the clones were disposable when compared to keeping Cleon's perfect dynasty intact, Harry too treats his people like pawns that are disposable but at the very least seems to ridicule himself for the decision to not expound on his thoughts and plans to the people he's trusting to carry it out. Hence Gail's issue with him and her being labeled his tormentor. She's the only one who stood up to him and has demanded answers about the plan that they're undergoing. Lastly, his points on Demerzel. I think that her experiences on the Maiden with Cleon the 13th profoundly affected her, killing Zeph Zephyr Halima in particular. Not having control of her actions due to her programming does not sit well with her. Has she found a way to change that or is she evolving beyond her programming? In this episode, she seemed to be a bit different. Having sex with Day is something I would have never expected from season one's Demerzel. I'm not so sure, but she seems she also seemed to be more in control. The way she seemed to be in charge when she brought Day to the healers, for example. There was something else, but I can't remember right now. I just remember noticing she seems to have a new agenda or something. Overall, it's just all about whether she has sort of deviated from her programmed intention of defending the Empire and protecting Cleon's dynasty, and whether or whether she's acting of her own agenda. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's less of her deviating from her programming, and and I, I think I mentioned in in the last episode of season uh, one that you know I kind of feel like. Maybe maybe the Cleonic dynasty that she was set to protect is now dead. Like maybe she doesn't recognize this as the Cleonic dynasty anymore. Maybe it's something completely new and that's a way or outside of that or around that programming. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, shall we get into some categories, Zach? Let's do it. Let's get into some categories. We got we got the solid three is always up here. Who is your favorite character? I think you got to go day here, man. This new rock star day is definitely the it's, highlight of the episode for sure. Is day all the way, man. Day all the way. All right. What was the best scene in the episode? Best scene in the episode. I got my favorite. You go first. I'm, I'm thinking about it. My favorite was just day fighting butt ass thinking like that was just yeah. hilarious i thought that that was such a surprise of where i thought we were going to pick up with him i yeah. thought that yes this was going to be a day who deviated in the season but first and foremost we didn't know if we were going to pick up in the past or if we were going to pick up after the 138 years right we didn't know yeah. if we were going to get a series of flashbacks so to pick up with him there i gotta agree that's that's got to be the scene right that mm -hmm. has to be the that it's has to be the scene just the it's the memorable the, the Demerzel surprise. It is the most memorable scene in the episode, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, that whole sequence. If you could connect it all together with him being thrown into the into the healer's tub and like that whole yeah. and all of that together, just makes for the most memorable 
seen in the episode. I agree. Completely agree. All right. Awesome. Uh, final question. Mm-hmm. Best line of the episode. I've got a couple. Um, Same. One is from Harry. One is from Gail. I have... Um, any man can be a success, but it takes a madman to be great. Dang it. You stole that. Okay, that's my first one. Okay. And then, actually, my favorite one was not that one. My favorite one was, God made wine to compensate those who cannot afford revenge. <laughs> I thought that was terrific. <laughs> okay. That's good. All right. So, you you got my first one. My my second line that I, I liked a lot was just, it was, it was the last line of the episode. Gail Dornick, it's time you and I had a record. time. Yeah, it's time it's for great. I'll remember that. Yeah, that I'll remember good. that one for a while. Oh, man. Safe to say we're off to a fantastic start for season two. It's lived up to the hype and more. I, I, you know, if if season one was the prologue, it feels like we're really getting into the thick of things now and things are really heating up uh, for an interesting season loaded with political intrigue and strategy and Trantor and battle strategy of how to deal with the foundation. Yeah. And even the resistance efforts of what Gail and Salvor are going to get up to next, right? Uh, there's mm-hmm. just pretty much a little bit of something for everybody. There's a bit of romance now with the queen. Uh, and I'm assuming some more to come. So, yeah, loving it. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping before we go. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us for our coverage of Foundation or our coverage of any show, we thank you for joining us and spending the time with us wherever you are in the world. As you may or may not know, we actually did a Foundation Season 1 coverage. So if you're out there and you're like, man, I don't remember anything from Season 1. I want to do a rewatch. Or if you're just getting into the show now, we encourage you to go back and watch all of our episodes or listen however you want. We did a deep dive on each episode to catch up for Season 2. And if you're lucky enough to not have seen Silo yet, we did an entire coverage of Silo Season 1 on Apple TV. Fantastic show starring Rebecca Ferguson and Tim Robbins just incredible i can't say enough positive about it and we're also covering hijack starring idris elba as well as black mirror season six along the way so thank you for tuning in zach's gonna hit you with the more polished outro about our newsletter our youtube channel our twitter that you can keep up with us on that we're ramping up our social media approach on and we thank each and every one of you out there hit us with some subscribes follows the five star ratings we were the number one rated (laughs) silo podcast in the world as a small independently owned podcast network We're competing with the big boys with Apple's own produced show and some of my favorite guys out there as well who have another show on this as well. But if you can help us rank number one like we did with Silo, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Foundation by Story Archives. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can visit us on YouTube at Soapbox Podcast Network. You can find different playlists that we have there for the different shows that we've been covering. You can visit our Twitter account at Soapbox House. You can you know, find some updates that we're posting there about when we're dropping certain shows. And you can visit a website at soapbox.house. Email us at contact at soapbox.house. And there's a link in the description below to sign up for our quarterly newsletter. Well, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, please respect and enjoy the peace. I like this quip. Yeah.